Hello and welcome back. I'm Joe. And I'm TJ. And you're listening to Season 5 of Focus Ed Podcast, where we cover all things education to help you lead better and grow faster by staying focused. Focus Ed is a collaborative program of work with our partners from the Delaware Department of Education and Wilmington University. We record each episode with a live audience and then blast them out to you from our website, theschoolhouse302.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and more. Don't forget to follow us at theschoolhouse302.com to learn more about when episodes are recorded and for more school leadership resources. As always, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Focus Ed, and we can't wait to hear from you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Focus Ed, where we invite expert guests to join us. In this episode, we have Megan Lawson with a focus on teaching for a lasting impact, something that is near and dear to every educator's heart. Megan, welcome to the show. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Megan? Sure thing, Joe. Thanks for that. Megan Lawson is a thought leader who studies and implements the conditions and systems needed for transformational change. A lover of learning who believes in the goodness of people, Megan works to cultivate spaces that honor the humanity of all people. She promotes storytelling, the exchange of ideas, and risk-taking. She's passionate about disrupting the status quo and creating kinder, forward-thinking communities of action. She's also intensely curious about how to enhance the customer experience in schools, began her career in the English language arts classroom, so inevitably her mantra is, words matter. She has worked at all levels of K-12 education as a teacher, school administrator, district administrator, and educational consultant. She's the author of Legacy of Learning, Teaching for Lasting Impact, and you can find her on X, we still say Twitter, at Megan underscore Lawson. All right, Megan, thanks for being on the show. As Joe said, we're going to start here with your book, Legacy for Learning, Teaching for Lasting Impact. The first question we want to ask is why you wrote the book and what you want educators to take from it. Yes. So a lot of the educators I've been talking talking to over the past few years, say things like, I wish these jobs were fun again. These jobs used to be more fun. Or I get a sense that teachers are overwhelmed, overworked, and at times very overstimulated. And I wrote this book to uplift teachers and to help us find an honest path forward about how to make the work manageable, meaningful, and fun. And it was important to me when I wrote this book that it was very authentic and honest in my storytelling. Uh, I am not someone who has it all figured out. Uh, this is, you know, me figuring it out alongside people. And so I hope that when people read the book, they get the sense that they're just almost having coffee with a friend talking about something that feels really important. Megan, I think a lot of people currently in the profession would love to have a better experience. I think we've seen that. We see that with over 55,000 plus vacancies in the U.S. right now. I think that's the latest data regarding uh, staff vacancies. But when you say like more fun, in your research, what have you uncovered? Like, what does that mean to people? You know, because I'm sure it's not playground fun necessarily. So what, what are they thinking when they say, I would love to have more fun on the job? I know we all got into these jobs to make a difference. And we spend a lot of our time in our lifespan at work. And so I think that sometimes we think of enjoying the work and making an impact as two separate things. When in fact, there's a lot of positive psychology research that would indicate our brains on positive 
negative are 31% more productive than they are at negative, neutral, or stressed. And that's some research from Sean Aker, happiness researcher out of Harvard. Some of you may be familiar with his book, The Happiness Advantage or Big Potential. So I think sometimes we hear, like you said, words like fun or happiness, and we think of it as fluff or extra. But in fact, when we can train our brain to become more positive in the present, and that's not toxic positivity, that's not talk, you know, we talk about hard things, that's not avoiding difficult conversations or difficult work, but in how we talk to ourselves and talk ourselves through experience we want for our day and and for others, you know, emotions uh, can be contagious. And so if we can get ourselves more access to our 31%, and students are more inclined to get access to their 30%, and uh, dopamine, which is that chemical transmitter that can turn on all the learning centers of the brain, we're more open to learning when we can get ourselves into a really good place. And so I think that's what I meant. Joe knows right now I'm geeking out on the Sean Aker and the neuroscience and the dopamine. He can't help himself. (laughs) As soon as as that came out of your mouth, I was thinking, there goes TJ. As soon as (laughs) anything about neuroscience, the psychology, Sean Aker, I knew he was like really, I mean, he probably has 40 windows open right now on his computer (laughs) of all of that. That's wonderful. I feel very at home here with you, TJ. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. I can't help but geek out on the science of the brain and learning and the things and tools that we need to be our best selves. And I love Sean's work. Something that you mentioned earlier that I want to ask about, because I think I'm struggling with it myself with teachers and what to say about more manageable and enjoyable. I think I get the enjoyable part, but manageable, I'm almost to the point where I'm following some of these guys uh, who say, yeah, nothing's manageable. If you want to be great at it, quit thinking that there's balance. You just have to grind. But that's not the message we want to tell people coming into the profession or teachers right now who may feel close to burnout. What are the tips and tactics for making the work that's seemingly unmanageable manageable? I love this question because I'm struggling with it at times in my own work. I think many of us struggle and I don't want to say balance. There is no balance, but managing. And so I think the first thing that I'm working on is seeing the difference between the things that I can control and the things that I can't. And sometimes things feel so hard in the places where we don't have control that it's easy to lose sight of where we do, you know, control or places where we have more influence. An example would be we have influence over our mindset and the way that we talk to ourselves and we talk through situations internally. And so I'm just even working on a concept that I've included in my book called the cognitive triangle, where thoughts lead to feelings and feelings lead to behavior. And so if I am feeling a really intense emotion, which leads me to shut down, understanding how I got there so I can find a path forward and talking that out with someone else has helped me to stay a little more productive in my work as one small example. Another thing that I think is true though is that because many educators and I speak from my own experience, uh, I have some perfectionistic tendencies. Like if I can't do it perfectly or if I can't reach that really big goal or pull this thing off I want to do in the way, big grand way I want to do it that maybe I don't try at all is a, a negative mindset that I sometimes catch myself in. So I'm just trying to catch that when it's happening and cut goals in half as an example. You know, John Acuff wrote, he struggles with perfectionism. He wrote the book Finish and he will say often cutting goals in half. Uh Uh-oh, did I hit another author that you love? (laughs) Right, cutting goals and often will lead us to performing and maintaining progress on something because we're not setting ourselves up for unrealistic ways early on. Uh, So that's another thing I'm thinking about. And really I'm just focused on small moves. Small moves feel so much more manageable and small moves done consistently over time 
time can lead to great things and big impact. And I think often we undercut ourselves. So here's an example. Like, let's say your class period is 50 minutes long. Well, 30 seconds is about 1% of that class period. And often I'll be like, well, what could we really do in 30 seconds? But just yesterday, I was in a science classroom and I was talking to a student. I was asking about his interests and I learned that he was interested in aerospace and he didn't know that we were starting an aerospace program. And he got really excited to hear about this opportunity. And I said, can I walk you down the hall? I want you to meet this teacher. And while we were walking down the hall, he was asking me if I was going to be the teacher. Almost in anticipation, like in just those few seconds that I would take that moment with him. We had this connection. Like he's hoping I'm going to be his teacher. I mean, it took very little time just by showing a little interest in him for him to, you know, want to work on something together. I mean, it's amazing how quickly that can happen. And so but then he meets this awesome teacher and he's excited about this class. And he's going to take this class. That happened in 30 seconds. So imagine if we all just spent 30 seconds of every class period on one little move that we were going to make, you know, with a different student every day or four and a half minutes that we were going to spend in a seven and a half hour day all working on getting better. Everybody's contributing to their 1% as a community of practice. You do the math depending on how big your community is, that's incredible gain with everyone just doing their part. It's a very long answer. No, it's excellent. It's a tough question because I think there's just so much going on in our lives and it's hard to manage all of that all together. And so I do want to go back and recap a couple things and, and then I'll get to my question, Megan, because you said three really profound things that I want to anchor here. One, the cognitive triangle, and I'll go back to that because I want to spend time on that a little bit. Also, the perfection. I am not making this up. TJ and I just talked about the book finished last week, just last week, and how this notion of perfection can derail us because often we'll quit because we think in some odd, weird way that, you know what, we've messed up and it's just wrong. And I think ACUF does a great job with that. And then also the small moves I would connect to that 20% though, also with the Pareto principle, that 80-20. If you make those small moves within that 20%, they're very high leverage moves. So yeah, it might be a small move, but it's moving mountains where a lot of times our 80% of our busyness doesn't accomplish much. Now to the question, I really want to go back to the cognitive triangle because I think it also goes back to perfectionism and how we think. How do you control or in your own way, Megan, have you found to create space between the thought and the feeling and then the feeling and the behavior or the action? Because I, there's very often no time in between there. And that's where we make a mistake. And a lot of times our thoughts aren't our best friends. So could you just dive into that a little bit on how we can create space between the thoughts and feelings and the feelings and behaviors to make more, you know, or better decisions or wiser decisions? You're right. There isn't a lot of time for that day to day. There's so many decisions that a classroom teacher or a building administrator or district administrator make in any given day. I find that it's in the aftermath of it all aftermath of that mistake or the thing that, you know, I'm wondering if it could have gone differently that I'm able to use that exercise and simply draw the triangle and write it out. Another thing that I have done with a couple of friends at, at work or colleagues who are my trusted people that we can kind of go back and watch film together, right? Like talk through a situation that we all were a part of and speak honestly about what we were thinking or feeling in the moment and how other people might have received, you know, our involvement in the decision making 
working at that table or what we were engaged in. And so this is why, though, I'm committed to blogging every week because I have to make space for reflection. And it's a way for me to sometimes I don't really understand what's happened in my week or how I'm feeling about something until I sit down and write about it. And maybe that's just an English teacher thing. It's just a thing that has been working for me. And I wouldn't say I'm getting it right all the time. It's just a tool that's allowing me to understand where things might be coming from. I'm also reading this book. It might be a little bit out there for some people, but it's called Better Days by Neil Allen. And it's about the superego. Tame Your Inner Critic is the subtitle. But in short, he basically says that, you know, we all have this voice. And you alluded to it when you asked your question that is speaking to us that we can't quite separate ourselves from. And we're always with that voice. But if we can learn to treat it as if it's a little bit different than us, as if it's our superego, then we can start to become a more critical consumer of the messages that we're receiving. And he even suggests, this might be a little out there for some people, but that you give it a name and that you give it a name that represents something that you're trying to separate yourself from a little bit. Like his life partner, Anne Lamott, she says that her super ego is the governess. And so that allows her to recognize when she's, you know, having voices popping up. Sometimes it serves us well. And in, he said often it served us well in early childhood, maybe in first grade when the rules of school started to become just a little bit more complicated and we realized that there was a chance we were going to get in trouble or do something wrong. But now we need to be able to be a critical consumer of not just other people's messages and the things that we read and consume, you know, in the media, but actually our own voices. I think the one thing that I would say that listeners should take away is the study of this, right? The lizard brain, you've mentioned a ton of books. The lizard brain has kept humans alive for a really long time. Our ability to see negative is wired into us. And if we want to see positive, we have to rewire that. And it's a daily struggle and we need to use tools and to study it. And I was an English teacher, but I am going to double down on the writing. Writing is the clearest form of thinking. A friend of mine just sent me a beautiful quote about it. I'm not going to know who to attribute it to, but it's about writing and speaking that I would have never known what I thought until I said it. And I think that's beautiful because unless we can communicate something, write something, it's intense because we think we know what we're going to say until we write the first draft. And then we're like, that kind of doesn't make any sense. And that's where the clarity comes in. So kudos to you for blogging. We will link to that in the show notes. I want to switch gears just a little bit to talk about some of the leadership questions that our listeners love, which the first one is, if you were going to improve the student experience in every school, what would you want to see done? So I want for our students what I want for all of us. And it's best described by some of Battelle for Kids research. They have studied hope, belonging, engagement, and 21st century learning. And they specifically studied hope for a variety of important reasons. But their research indicates that hope is a stronger predictor of academic success beyond or future success beyond any academic measure. That's more than GPA. It's a stronger indicator than your ACT score. It is the strongest predictor of future success. And yet for a long time, those of us who've been around for a bit in this profession, people used to walk around saying things like hope is not a strategy. And it turns out there's a lot of emerging research on hope. And so hope, belonging, and engagement also have reciprocity. So if you raise one, you raise all of them. If one falls, they all fall. So I think what I want for students, I mean, I could jump to hands-on learning, connected with the world outside of school, growing kids' networks, because often it's, it's not just about what you know, but who you know that can lead to future success. All of those things, I want all of those things. I want kids, you know, getting to make more decisions about what's happening in the school so they can take more ownership over the experience that everyone's having. But at the most foundational level, I want hope, belonging, and engagement and hope and belonging. I'm just worried that some of our students 
students are, especially at the secondary level, are going through an entire day without hearing their own name. I think in a traditional high school schedule, as an example, kids move through class to class to class. How many kids actually know all the students' names in their class and are using them? You know, I think there's a when we talk about teachers making their jobs manageable, that's not just on the teacher to say people's names and to make them feel seen, but it's actually about building a community and an ecosystem where we're all seeing each other and creating that belonging and hope. And there we can find engagement into the, some of the other things that I listed. And so I think that that's my greatest hope. That's powerful. It's funny. I was just observing a classroom today and we're four by four block and the teacher was going through just the routine because it's a brand new semester, making sure everyone knew everyone's name with, you know, like one, just a little blow up ball and they were throwing it around politely. But it's funny. It, I did not connect that to hope, but I wrote that down. I, I will now in my feedback to the teacher share that and let her know about that research. It didn't dawn on me. I thought it was a great activity. They should know one another, you know, because they're also younger grade level. They're a little more timid, a little more shy. No one knows one another, but I love that message, hope, belonging, and engagement. Megan, your blogger, you have a wonderful career. You have a fantastic book out. Uh, TJ and I are both huge fans. For you to know you're making an impact or you're making a last impact, what do the next three to five years look like for you? That's a great question. When I get asked this question, I really struggle. I don't know. I'm, I'm being perfectly honest. This is what I always say. I want to do work I believe in, people I enjoy. That's how I define success. And if I believe in the work, I know that I'm going to be really engaged in it and I'm going to give it my all. And I know I'm going to stay positive and have a good time with people who I feel really connected to. And so I'm open to whatever that looks like. I've actually hired a job coach to try. I had hired her to try to help me, you know, figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. I'm 41. It's probably not even a thing you should be saying out loud. Uh, she couldn't help me because I guess I just struggle with seeing in definitive terms into the future. Maybe that's because I, you know, lost a parent when I was young. I'm just really working hard to plant my feet firmly in the present and do everything I can in the present moment and hope that the rest will work itself out. I mean, I, I think that's a, a great thing, honestly. I mean, I think a lot of us are either stuck in the past or so future driven that we miss out on the day. And I've been working really hard on being more present places, you know, putting this down in a way. I heard somebody say the other day that, you know, having, I say this as a phone, having this out, even in your hand or available to you, makes the person who you're with feel less important. And it didn't matter if you answered it or you did anything with it, just have Having it out means I might need to do something that's more important than this time I'm spending with you. And I think that, you know, what you bring, you know, to the work and saying, I, you know, I just want to do enjoyable work with people I like to be around. I'm not that concerned about five years from now. I think that's insightful and I think it's wise. Just a couple more questions and we will end in a minute here. Is there a book that you want to write or a book that you wish somebody would write that's missing out there in the world that we we need to know more about? I think there's probably lots of books. I think there's books inside of lots of people. And I think, I feel like I'm cheating some of, on some of your questions, but I think my greatest hope is that people who have an idea to share with the world or have thoughts to share, that they believe in themselves enough to produce something like a book. I think we are our worst critics and we talk ourselves out of a lot of things. If not you, then who? If not now, then when, right? You know, whether it's a classroom teacher or a paraprofessional or a student I just want all of the unwritten books that the world needs to be written. Megan, if you wouldn't mind, you did mention a few different books tonight. Could you repeat the author of Better Days? Yes. So I'm only a few chapters into this one. Better Days is by Neil Allen. Got a very cheerful cover. I'm appreciating. I know TJ 
does as well is the numerous, you know, books and resources listed. How do you curate what you will or will not read? I've quit books before because life is too short to read a book that you're not enjoying or getting much out of. I try to listen to books uh, during my commute. I have about a 30 minute commute to work. And sometimes I'll make myself pause the book if I heard something that was just incredibly profound because I don't want to continue consuming content. I want to let that sort of sit with me for a bit. And then I also don't want to lose the spot. I'm sure there's all kinds of great tricks, but I don't want to lose the exact spot I was in when I heard the quote or the story. Sometimes I'll, I'll be so into a book that I consume on audiobooks, but then I'll also buy the paper version. And then I keep books on my stand next to my couch. And I just have three or four of them going at once. And I'm probably not doing the best job of keeping great track of all of the good things that I'm getting from those books. So I would love to know other strategies people are using. Well, I mean, I'll first just underscore the fact that you have a strategy. Not everybody has a strategy. Joe and I would just did a video blog about the fact that if you don't have books in your queue and you finish a book, you could likely go 10, 20, 30 days without picking up your next read. And that having your list is a strategy to continue to grow and continue to read because if you don't know what you're going to read next, it could be a month and a month went by and the average CEO reads 60 books a year. And without strategies, you'll never get to those numbers. That's interesting. And Fun fact, lists are actually the most common form of writing. So I could see how making your list even in and of itself is important. It's important scope for our students too. Megan, we could talk all night. I'm sure this has been wonderful. I took copious notes, pages and pages of notes. I've also cataloged here the happiness advantage, finish, better days, some of the work that you've mentioned, several quotes that I think people are going to get a ton from, from our conversation, including if everyone contributes to growing by their 1% each day, imagine what can happen. This this has been great. Is there anything else that you would like to add for our live audience, for the leaders in the program, for anybody listening to Focus Ed? I just feel so fortunate that I got to learn from you this evening. I enjoyed talking to the two of you. And I didn't know that fact about CEOs as an example. I've been you know, taking mental note of a lot of the really smart things that you've shared. So thank you for my opportunity to learn from you. And I would just say, I want to thank everybody for the work they're doing in schools every day. I don't think, know that we make enough time to genuinely thank people. And and I just want to encourage them and let them know that they're doing better than Really good point. We're doing better than we think. That's back to the negative brain. Keep it positive. Keep it moving forward. This has been awesome. Again, another great podcast on Focus Ed. How about a virtual and live round of applause for Megan Lawson? We can see those hands clapping in the background. Don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and more. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Ed. Till then, stay focused. Hey leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really, because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced, from the comfort of your office or home. 
here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candidate Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful, and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today. about what you're working on right now that you're really proud of. I'm really proud of this. We do a high school course catalog every yes. year. The best course catalog in the world. I can appreciate how much work goes into that. I've done uh, course catalogs before. That is a labor of love. Yeah, it's a lot of fun.